Hi everybody, it's Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Christy Palmer, who is the co-founder of Kiva, based out of Alameda, California. Welcome aboard, Christy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, so it's great to have you. I mean, it's interesting looking at Kiva and the bit of the story behind it. You've developed a really interesting brand that you're selling um, products through dispensaries across California. Tell us a little bit about the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we started the company, my husband and I, um, in 2010. Uh Um, There was at the time a lack of professional, delicious, tested, trustworthy edibles in the market. Right back in those days, you had um, a saran wrap brownie with 10x on an Avery label uh, slapped on it with uh, (laughs) some saran wrap for packaging. Um, So it was a little ambiguous, a little scary, kind of like playing Russian roulette with an edible um, experience. So consumers didn't know if they were going to be on the couch for three days or if they were about to waste 20 bucks on an edible that didn't work. Um, so we saw that and went, okay, how can we, how can we help? How can we do it better? Um, and that's really how we got started was in the home kitchen here in, um, in the Bay area in San Leandro, the house I grew up in actually. Um, yeah. So we had a cultivation in the backyard, um, that's kind of how we first got into cannabis, um, right. was a little garden shed cultivation, tiny little room. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, but we weren't, uh, we weren't really cultivators at heart. Um, I think we were more product brand people and, um, a, a brand, a company, a product type like Kiva, um, allowed us to really communicate with the consumer and kind of make our, make our mark in, um, in a product company and, um, and help kind of really reach the consumer and change their perspective and change their experiences around edibles. Right. And, you know, you, you offer um, five different brands or lines of products within the Kiva brand. How did you decide which came first and how do you decide what to bring out? Yep. So we started with chocolate. Um, Chocolate bars were our flagship. Um, I think the reason chocolate bars, that was probably the most logical place to start um, I think that's what consumers were already used to thinking of right. um, when they think of edibles. So, um, and equipment-wise, manufacturing process, like that was the easiest um, entry point. Um, later came the terabytes, which are five milligram THC little bites, um, mm-hmm. chocolate-covered espresso beans, blueberries. Um, we have a few different items in that line now. That came next. Um, we launched that at the same time as we launched what we then called our minis. And they mm-hmm. were one single square of a chocolate bar individually wrapped. Um, our full size bars had four squares. So it was a little bit different format for consumers, but the terabytes took off in a way that the minis never did. They offered super convenient dosing, right? Pop right. the lid off, eat one, you're good to go. The um, the bars and the minis still required some breaking up and some, you know, a little bit of precision with how you broke down a dose. Um, so after that, uh, after the terabytes launched, then um, a few years later came the mints. We right. leaned really hard into microdosing. Um, the mints are two and a half milligrams of THC. And those launched, remind you, um, in 2016. So um, right before we found out that California regulations, uh, you know, that California was going to have legal yep. cannabis at all. So this is still pretty kind of like, um, you know, old school market time um, or gray market time. And so, uh, yeah, we leaned really hard into that microdosing um, strategy. 
the next product we launched was Camino, which is our um, right. our gummy line. Let me, actually, that, let me interrupt you there. You, something sure. you brought there, you know, was is an interesting inflection point in the business as legalization approached. And you know, you said you started off by uh, producing in your backyard and then going from there. And obviously, you had to grow beyond that. With legalization approaching, what rigors did you have to apply to the business that you hadn't prior to be compliant? Yes. Oh my gosh. So we were lucky um, in that we we prided ourselves in the in the um, early days of our business about doing things right. So testing, um, quality standards, um, you know, uh, best business practices. We ingrained that into the company because we wanted to be around for a long time. We wanted a trustworthy brand. So we thought these were things that we were going to need to do, kind of regulate ourselves right. um, in order to be respected and, and trusted. So when regulation came, oh my God, I wish I could say that we were super prepared and everything went smoothly. Um, but that was, we were as prepared as we could be without right. having the manual, right? The, the sure. state didn't hand over their regulations until the middle of November mm-hmm. um, and then of 2018 and then 2000, or sorry, 2017, then Jan 1, 2018, those regulations were like put in place. Right. So you're expected to have changed the dosing on your products to be compliant with hundred milligrams THC per pack. Um, scored into 10 milligram breakpoints at the highest um, right. amount. So luckily we had um, some molds already um, kind of prepared or in stock that right. met those demands. But at that time we didn't have a hundred milligram product. We had a 60 milligram um, and a 180 for our chocolate bars. So okay. we had to completely reformulate. Um, we got lucky that we had those molds in stock. They were actually set to go to another state. Um, We we brought them back into the fold um, and uh, and kept them um, for ourselves for California. Um, The other thing you had to do was have childproof packaging. Um, Thankfully, we had worked on child resistant packaging for like two or three years. Um, We'd already had lots of products or packages in development, um, but it still took us a few months to pull the trigger um, on that CRP uh, package and then, you know, get that in stock and get right. it into the system. So um, we were putting all of our existing non-child resistant um, products into bags and then labeling upon labeling. Yeah. Like, they were so ugly. I was like, I cannot believe we're putting these products into <laughs> the market. Like this, it goes against every, every part of our being to put something out there that's ugly and looks kind of, um, haphazard, but, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to pivot and kind of, um, uh, become compliant rather quickly in comparison to the other businesses, um, at that time. And so that gave us a huge, we actually grew a little bit in 2018, um, right. which was like, oh my God, amazing. That was a badge of honor because, uh, it was just so hard to get product to market, um, compliantly. Yeah. It was, I mean, apart from the labeling issues and all of that was it a problem for you a changeover in the supply chain for what you were receiving yes um so the changeover in supply chain was was tough you had to only work with licensed businesses uh-huh. um so supply chain was tough on that side like the the downstream supply chain but going to the retailer oh my gosh that was we we left 2017 with 
1200 stores that we were servicing on a, like in that year, right. um, we went into 2018 only having 10 licensed businesses on January 1st that we could work with. So yep. we thought, I mean, it was like free fall, right? It was like, okay. And we had customers calling us like, you know, we've been working with you for eight years. Can you please bring us an order? Uh, no, sorry, we can't. What if we pay double for the order? Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, we can't. I mean, it was like heartbreaking people's businesses. I mean, it was, it was chaos, but yep. yeah, that was that part, the finding another licensed business to work with was super challenging. That that would be challenging. It's probably, it's something which, you know, a lot of people who haven't been through the process don't recognize that that flip over, you know, it's not seamless. There's more than a few bumps in the road. And while we all say, we know there's people, I've everybody wants our products because we have a product everybody wants um it's not as easy as you know waving a flag and saying come get it yeah um whereas in other industries you have to go out and sell very much more aggressively to make a product move christy we do have to take a short break but i want to come back on to a bit more about that and uh where you're looking to go with it uh after we come back from a short break with and we'll be back with christy palmer on the green peak the Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Christy Palmer from Kiva. And Christy, you know, just before the break, you were talking about the changeover uh, with legalization. And when I look at it, you know, and having dealt with it in different jurisdictions, it's always interesting. But looking forward, one of these days, the FDA is going to be the next one to take a look at it. How are you preparing for when that occurs? Because it also will likely open up more states for you. Yep. Yep. So um, I can't wait for the day when uh, there is a single regulating body for the entire national U.S. cannabis market. Um, So, you know, people who have worked with the FDA are like, oh, you, you know, you got to be careful. The FDA, they're really strict. They're really hard to work with. Um, and I get that, uh, but I'm still looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's, um, it's really, it's really difficult right now to, uh, be compliant with each state's regulations. Mm-hmm. And we're currently, our products are available in 11 markets, including Canada. So we're used to, trying to figure out how to do it right in each state. Um, And it's, I mean, you should see the, the management of the products, you know, Kiva we have in California, probably about 30 ish SKUs um, in the market. But when you multiply that by 11 markets, plus uh, different potencies and different packaging, it each each SKU in each state is unique. There's no right. two SKUs that work in both states. So it's um, it's crazy. So the having FDA oversight, um, if it if it unifies all of these different regulations and regulating bodies, I think the businesses will win. So Christy, um, you mentioned you're working in eleven provinces, uh, eleven states, as well as in Canada. Um, how do you handle and define? a licensing agreement and um, the quality control around it. Yep. So currently um, we don't own any of our operations in any other states or any other markets. So we are licensing the recipes, the know-how. Our team is coming out and training our partner in another market. Um, Quality control. We are 
We are constantly um, kind of evolving our quality program to ensure each market is doing everything um, to our specs or uh, ideally exactly the same. Um, but there are certainly intricacies in each market that um, that make that a, a, a major challenge. So um, it's it's a beast of an operation, our, uh, our out-of-state expansion efforts. It must be. And dealing with all the regulatory frameworks, um... You've got a minimal, you know, not, and I don't mean the wrong way, but you've got a minimal viable standard that everybody has to follow. And then you have to add in uh, requirements for each jurisdiction as well. How do you police it? And policing is not necessarily the, a negative term or yeah, pejorative. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so we do a lot of um, tasting the product in market. Um, so the team that we have out in that state, if it's a salesperson or um, we'll do a visit ourselves and go go purchase the product from the dispensary or from our manufacturing partner and taste it. Um, we, we gauge texture, you, that kind of bounce in the gummy, that chew kind of sensation that you get, um, mm -hmm. color, uh, packaging. How is, how does it look in the pro in the package itself? Is it smushed? Does it maintain its integrity? Um, right. so that's part of it. It's just kind of getting out there and, and tasting it and see what, seeing what it's like. Um, but there's so much room for improvement in that process. And, you know, it's really difficult because you can't ship a, a whole batch, you no. know, across the country. <laughs> so that part is extremely aggravating, um, and really difficult. So we do a lot of virgin product as well. You can send virgin product, um, right. across state lines. So it's, um, it's definitely a work in progress and something that we're focusing on, uh, more and more as we, uh, as we continue to expand. Right. And I know a number of, um, in other industries, the licensor sometimes supplies all the packaging. Have you looked at that or do you do it? Um, no. So we source, well, we design and, um, and help our uh, partners find vendors. So we have okay. a few different vendors that they can work with. Um, and that really comes down to uh, order quantity, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes you work with a vendor, they go, oh, sure, you can get that for 100,000 units. Well, if you're in a little state like Hawaii, mm -hmm. <laughs> 100,000 units going to last you a, a long very time. long time. Oh, there's a so, lot of tourists. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, so yeah, so we help them um, kind of get matched up with a packaging vendor that is uh, approved by us. Right. Well, that, that makes sense. And when you're selecting new products now for the market, is the process different now that you're licensing across so many jurisdictions than it was when you were starting off? It is. It certainly is. So when we're thinking about product development, um, we are we are not just considering how that's going to do in California and how we will make it, um, you know, here in, in California, but how will others make it across the country? Um, and it, it factors into our decision. Um, but it certainly isn't the, um, the only kind of criteria that we're looking at. So for example, like our, um, our fruit chew our lost farm fruit chew, it's mm -hmm. kind of like a starburst or like a taffy, um, so a soft kind of chew uh, medium. And um, that product is particularly difficult to make and the um, equipment is pretty expensive. So we like to build kind of some competitive walls around us. Also give the consumer a really unique um, experience. 
And in candy making, like, you know, Starburst, they make, they have really specialized equipment and, you know, candy making, you can, you can really gain some efficiencies if you do it at these massive scales. So to copy it on a um, small scale and get the same kind of textures and product quality that the consumer will expect, um, but on a small cannabis scale is, is really difficult. So it's a, it's a balance between uh, how difficult we want the products to be to copy and then also um, how how simple they are for others to make outside of the state. Right, of course. I mean, obviously, their ability to manufacture is going to always be a factor. Uh, looking at the states you manufacture and or provide product in, some states like Florida, you're not in yet, but are large markets. New York, a big market that's, you know, but it's a bit of a wild west in the east. Big markets. You're, uh, you've opened in some. You're moving across the country in different areas. Are there markets you've chosen not to enter or is it just timing and one after the other? Yeah. So um, great question. I think markets. So opening up in a market is um, it's it takes as much time to open up in a market that you're going to be successful in as a market that you will not be successful in. It takes yep. the same amount of resources um, and it's incredibly resource intensive. So we look really carefully at what states to enter. And part of that is editing out others that uh, we will not go into, or at least not for now, or maybe, you know, maybe in the future. So um, like Colorado, Washington, Oregon, um, you know, those Colorado and Washington got their start very early before California. So the brands are super entrenched there. Um, also a place like Colorado, you're going to have to spend a lot of money and a lot of resources to get into a number one or two or three position in the ranking for, um, for sales and for share. So, um, you know, you could spend that money in Colorado kind of fighting your way to the top, or you could spend that money in a state like Missouri, um, and get the benefit of being first to market, um, plus using those dollars and, and just kind of, uh, yeah, get you, you, uh, you kind of go with the flow and get the the path of least resistance in some of those. uh, Sure. More saturated markets are hard. It's hard to get the shelf space. It's pretty common in everything. And there's a cost to that. That's absolutely fair. Um, Christy, we do have to take one more break, but we'll be back in a moment on The Green Peak with Christy Palmer from Kiva. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on The Green Peak with Christy Palmer from Kiva. And Christy, just before the break, we were talking about, you know, quite many aspects of building a brand and distribution around and building something in a very, you know, segmented and fragmented market because of the way the regulatory framework exists. But as you've been developing and, you know, you started talking a bit about how the products evolved. Today, you know, new products, the market's also, you know, saturated in different places. So people are looking for innovation, are looking for something different. How do you develop the new products? How do you innovate in this market? Yeah, I think um, it's it's really important to us, um, and I think part of the reason we've been um, we've been able to kind of capture and hold the attention of our consumers is with coming out with cool new stuff um, pretty regularly, like constantly, and that's been a strategy we've really leaned into, um, especially in the past few years as our team um, has grown and we have uh, more people, more resources to help make that um, a reality. So yeah, I think staying ahead of trends, 
um, both on the like uh, product type. So the product medium um, is super important. Um, you know, what kind of uh, extraction methods are popular and right. really paying attention, listening to what the consumer wants. So we get this, this, people ask all the time, oh, why don't you come out with like a, you know, like a big pouch, a big bag full of candy. That's like, you know, the whole bag is 10 milligrams, but I can have 10 handfuls yep. and sounds super like that's exactly, I would love that. But that, <laughs> that's not what the consumer is buying. Yeah. Um, and so I think you get a lot of that. Like people want to want can, uh, products for themselves, but they are not the ones shopping. And if they are shopping, they're not coming back every day or every week, every month. So um, I think we, we try to pay very close attention to where the consumer um, is headed, what's important to them, and then come out with cool new products for them. Uh, right. Because that's that's what's going to move the needle and um, and keep people's attention. Yeah, I know. When I built I built a retail chain years ago, and I'd get customers always asking for particular products, and they'd sound fascinating. But you don't build products for a person; you build it for a lot of people. And yes. you know, I'm not the right person for whom to build any product. But <laughs> there are things that I will want that everybody else will. And the problem is differentiating between what I really want what I need and what I want. Yes. And that's tough. Yeah, it is tough. And when we were small, we came out like we came, our first Petromit was um, we came out with eucalyptus was one of the mm -hmm. flavors. We brought in a marketing um, person. He's our COO today. He was yep. like, Ooh, eucalyptus. Like what does eucalyptus taste like? And I'm like, well, you know, it's got this, like, yeah. like people don't know what that is. So they don't buy it. Cause they don't know what it is. They don't want to spend 20 bucks to buy. So yeah, a lot yeah. of it is those, what's for you versus what's for them. Exactly. And, um, you know, that touches on something. How big has your team become? Yeah, we are um, just shy of 400 people today. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. 400 people at the prime company in California or across the country? Yep, that's across the country. Mm -hmm. So that includes manufacturing team members in California, um, distribution also, because in uh, California, we do um, distribution to the dispensaries here right. in the state. Um, and then we also have uh, part of our team is outside of the state in, um, in the market. So market managers and directors um, across the country. And then that's corporate um, as well, which is mostly speckled throughout California now. That's a, it's a lot of work to build and run an organization like that and a lot of documentation to build. It must have been quite the fun journey. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, that's my favorite part um, of the job is working with the team. And, um, you know, in the in the early days, it's about one foot in front of the other, being scrappy, getting it done. Yeah. Um, but over time, you know, our, our ethos has certainly changed. Um, and there's so much talent and skill. Um, it's amazing to, to like be on a Zoom call or in the room with uh, with the folks on the team. I learn so much every day from their their passion and their dedication. So um, it's yeah, it's the best part of the job, hands down. You know, you touched on something that's so important, and most and so many people um, don't always learn right off the bat. But a great entrepreneur surrounds themselves with people who are better than themselves at everything they do because you learn from them and together you grow. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. And what do I know about anything? I don't know anything about making products, selling products. Like I only know what is in my tiny little universe. And that has all been spent at Kiva, right? So yeah, yeah 
could not agree more. You want to bring superstars in and, um, and help them uh, grow in your company so that they can grow your company. Exactly. It's uh it's an important relationship that people, you know, just look at hiring as opposed to look at engaging. Yeah. Yeah. Christy, we are out of time for today, but I'd like to thank you for joining us on the Green Peak. Thank you so much, Richard. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And people who want to learn more about your products, where should they visit? Our website's a great place, um, kivaconfections.com. Our Instagram um, is also a really fun spot to check us out. And that's um, at Made by Kiva. Fantastic. Well, it's been great to hear the story. I look forward to having you on again. And uh, thanks for joining us. And Thank thanks you so to everybody. And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak, and we'll be back again with you soon. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.